Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! What is up, everybody? This is the Fizzle Show, where every week you check in to get a little dose, a little, you know, we put the little needle under the skin a little bit, give you a little a booster shot in entrepreneurship. Why? Because you're all alone. <laughs> and you've got a little boat and it's a really big sea and there's big waves that'll come and sometimes your boat will catch them and you'll be like, everything will be going pretty good. And then sometimes it goes too fast and your boat capsizes and your partner betrays you or your your wife sounds crazy or your your payment provider like the, or Google changes their algorithm or, 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 or. Entrepreneurship is all about these oars, all about these things that happen. And the question constantly arises, this being so, so what? What are you going to do? And so we like to put a little shot in your arm every week on Tuesdays to uh, to get you a little over the hump. A little over the hump of Wednesday, get you going, get you going through the week. Give you a little bit of that internal inspiration, that motivation, because God dang, if it doesn't take a lot of energy to publish something, because we're constantly fighting with perfection when we're publishing. Jack Conti has this awesome bit in some talk that he did on published is better than perfect. And it's something that in our experience that has been that has been true. That's what we actually recommend to people as well. You your your business idea in your head or in your journal or notebook is is not actually a business right it's when it's out in the world and it starts developing its own identity and people have a relationship with it that you can now learn from it you can grow it you can change things over time you can pivot when all of those ors or 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 ors things start Happening Now, today's conversation is an important one because we're talking about something that was the very first course that I made inside of Fizzle. It was the thing that I was hired originally when Corbett approached me like, hey, you designed my website. You did a pretty good job on that. I loved it. So I got this bigger idea. I think you'd be fun to work with. I was actually, Corbett and Joe, I sent you guys the the text of the uh, of. The email that that originally came from this is in 2012, seven years ago now. And what Corbett had hired me to do was redesign his website so that it it, it resonated more deeply with his audience, so that it looked more like what Corbett business really was, so that it had a kind of vitality and a freshness and a liveness to it. And the way that I did that was by tr- like scouring his website and understanding who the people were that actually came to it who the people were that were actually using the website that at the time was called Think Traffic, which is now called Fizzle, to learn the information that they needed to grow their business. There's a a topic, I want to grow my business, but then there's the people. The people are from different places in the world. The people have different dreams. The people have, they watch different shows. Some of them don't even have Netflix, if you can imagine that. I mean, (laughs) what do they watch on the internet? But... The topic today that matters so much to every business is this audience question. What is the audience? How do we define our audience? In what ways is it actually useful to discuss audience? And there are lots of myths on this out in the world. 
And we're going to get into some of those, break those down and help you get an actual solid grounding on how do we think about growing your audience. Now, I'm not alone on the show today, though, uh, in my, <laughs> though I could probably talk this whole hour long about my experiences in trying to define the sort of the enigmatic audience of any particular business. But uh, first, let me say hello to my illustrious partner and, and co-host Corbett Barr. Hello, Corbett Barr. What's up, guys? Whoa. Happy to be here. Happy to have you back, Chase, in the host seat because oh, yeah. it just my when I'm like, hey guys, welcome to the Fizzle Show. It just doesn't go so well over the music. Dude, I, I, appreciate I, think, I think we're gonna get we're gonna get so many people who are like, can you just host the show from now on, Corbett? <laughs> can you have like just a segment? Like it's fun to bring Chase on, but it's like almost like a a moosh boosh, and then we can get on with the meal. Um, and we also are joined by Joel Kearns, who's out in Austin, Texas. Say what's up, Joe Kearns. Yep. Howdy. Joe is the, like, yep. what, what do you, when you tell people your expertise nowadays, Joe, what do you, what do you tell oh. them that is? Yeah. No, be honest. Uh, be honest. Like, I go like, I go like my mental toughness. I go like mindset. I go like uh, uh, having a growth mindset. That's where I would put Joe, Joe Kearns. Where do you go? Hey, good. I will totally take that. Yeah, I kind of like blending the my background in performance psychology with uh, growing businesses and kind of being able to find the marriage between those two things. Booyah, booyah. And then we have a special guest on the show today, our good friend and someone I've longed to talk to about business again because he's been growing and moving and shaking and doing things in his world. Justin Jackson. What's up, Justin Jackson? Hey, everybody. There you are. I want to know, has Corbett ever made the air horn sound with his... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That DJ Colin. <laughs> <laughs> that well, was worth first the time admission right there. Just, yeah. just you... rename the title of the show, Corbett Makes the Air, ha- air Horn Sound. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So, Justin, where are... like, If someone was to go right now to find where you're most active on the internet because you're a content maker you're a teacher mm-hmm. of of I, I look at you as a teacher of, of really particularly SaaS business stuff you've written some books you've got uh, like several properties out there where would you tell them is like the place that you like your home base online uh justinjackson.ca is where i write okay. and then uh, i co-founded a podcast hosting company with John Buddha called Transistor.fm. And him and I have a podcast called Build Your SaaS, as in S-A-A-S, Software as a Service. Uh, and that is just the honest story from the beginning, before we'd even signed partnership papers about us growing this business in 2018, 2019. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm like, my brain just like had a start because <laughs> I'm looking at this article you wrote, which really started a big conversation for a lot of us um, on the myth of the niche market. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you remember this article that you've written? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty recent and I got a lot of hate for it. <laughs> what what kind of hate? Tell, tell me about the controversy first and then let's talk about what, uh, like, what was the result? Like, what, what were the responses to this? Sure. So... That the idea is, um, you know, there's this, there's this idea that the internet is really, really big. And because it's so big, any niche will do. You can yeah. choose any niche. You can choose pet owners who have, you know, two twin turtles that both want knitted caps 
for their turtles. That's a market. Yeah. And I feel some of this is just, of course, colored by my experience building Transistor. Because when we were, you know, getting ready to launch Transistor, we had this idea that we were going to be the WP engine for podcasts. So WP Engine is this really successful WordPress hosting company. And we're like, we're going to do that for podcasting. And so our target market, our niche, isn't going to be podcasters. It's not going to be... It's going to be businesses who want a podcast. And we positioned all of our marketing and launch around that. Mm. And turns out that isn't true. (laughs) It, It turns out that our our market is actually just podcasters. The reason we know this is because we launched with all of this positioning around, you know, podcasts for businesses, et cetera. Despite that, who shows up, but all sorts of people who just want to start a podcast. They are coalescing around the job to be done much more than they're coalescing around this identity we tried to fit on them. Mm. And so I wrote this this blog post, partly because, hey, I'm just going through this right now. And I think the, the the hate I got was, I mean, part of it is it pokes a little bit at anybody who's chosen a niche and um, is maybe fighting to, to reach that niche. Uh, and also, I think people misunderstood. I'm not saying that choosing a niche is bad, yeah. but I think there's this idea that you can just choose any niche or even that you should start by choosing a niche. That's something I've revised lately. Before I was like, no, choose your niche first. But I've been revising that lately, uh, partly because of my experience, partly because of talking to folks like Ruben Gamez, who's another Mm. Portland Portland person. And uh, he's launching a new business and he the way he's going about it is completely different than I think what most people advocate you know most people are teaching so yeah i i i don't know if that's a good intro to the to the article but um yeah i think that's probably a good place to start yeah corbett so what do you corbett i'm curious for you what do you hear in this in this dialogue in this conversation around niche these days like particularly these days as opposed to like you know because we're we've been we that email that that you wrote to me and like that started fizzle basically was seven years ago Right. We've been teaching this stuff for a long time and you were teaching stuff like this back in Think Traffic Days a long time ago. And uh, the way that we teach, I've noticed, is like, it, it's iterative. It grows over time. Why? Because the Internet's changing all the time. So what right now do you see about this conversation that Justin's opened about niche? Well, a, a few things. I mean, first of all, I, I think there are things about growing an audience that are fascinating and are always going to be fascinating. And there are certain fundamental principles that will stay the same. And maybe we can kind of debate what those are today mm-hmm. uh, about growing an audience. But then there are things that change. And uh, Chase was talking earlier about how, you know, the fact that we talk about growing audiences and we've done so for a long time, but it's not like any of us went to school for that. Yeah. And I think, I think that if you had gone to school for that 20 years ago, whatever you learned would be useless today. Or maybe there would be some foundational stuff, but a lot of the rest of it, you couldn't have even imagined that YouTube and Instagram and everything else that we use would be so popular. Mm. But 
Uh, niche is one of those things that I'm sure has been talked about in business school for at least 100 years. Mm. And it is worth um, recognizing as this fundamental thing that applies to uh, you know, whatever technology, whatever platform, whatever technique you're using to reach your audience. So what I love about the way that Justin's approaching this today, I think, is that a lot of people debate niche on the surface. Should you have a niche? And if so, should you go all in as tiny and, and ridiculous and specific as possible? Or should you just go broad? And Justin, I think, is opening the door to a deeper discussion about when niche makes sense and when it doesn't. And this mm. article, by the way, Justin, there's there's a, a ton in this. And you cite a lot of different sources and, and different examples. So maybe we can get into some of that as well. But mm -hmm. anytime somebody um, tries to cover what could obviously be a very complex topic, I mean, there are millions and millions of businesses out there and millions of audiences and so on. And to just be able to look at all of them and say, well, niche is the only way to go because X, Y, and Z, that's impossible because you could you could find a million counterexamples where somebody didn't choose a niche. So mm -hmm. I, I would love to, to dig deeper and pull the layers back and to understand what is it about choosing a niche that does make sense? And is it possible to choose the wrong niche? And if so, why? Was it just too small? Was it the wrong timing? Well, there are probably a lot of factors at play. Mm. So, mm -hmm. so thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. 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 And I think the other reason it's worth talking about is because this gave me so much stress when I was trying to get into business. Yeah. What niche do I choose? And people start freaking out about this. And then the advice, of course, is, you know, I'll say, uh, okay, well, I want to target mountain bikers. And then the response back would be, well, what kind of mountain bikers? You know, yeah. you like niche down more. Yeah. It's like, okay, I guess mountain bikers that um, are, you know, under six feet tall. And well, that's still a big group, niche down more. And there's this kind of, um, there's this meme or, you know, when advice gets so generalized that everybody's just repeating the same memes, but yeah. we can't even remember why mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. talking about it that way. Yeah. And, and when I see these knee-jerk reactions on Twitter, when people are like, hey, I'm starting a business, I'm going to target, you know, whoever. And then there's a bunch of replies going, well, you got to niche down more. <laughs> it's like, you, you people don't know. Yeah. You, there, there's, there's the only way to really know, it seems, is to launch something with your best guess and then see what happens. And, you know, I'm sure... Everyone who's ever launched a business has been surprised in a little way about either who shows up or maybe they correctly, you know, guessed who would show up, but then how they would use the product. Um, we're, we're just guessing until we launch something. And so I, I think because this advice is often given before people have launched anything, that's where it can be problematic because people go on this hunt, this right. scavenger hunt for this mysterious, tiny little niche that's going to provide them, you know, all their dreams. Uh, and they're looking for niches where there's not much competition. This, and, and, and I think this is such a, such an armchair quarterback kind of thing. It's the, everybody has business advice in their back pocket, right? Even your mm -hmm. uncle at Thanksgiving, people love yeah. to say, 
shit like don't mix business with pleasure or don't do business with friends. Right. Yeah. And, and these mm-hmm. are just old adages. And if, if you believe that's true because somebody told it to you at some point, then you walk around the world looking for evidence that that's true. And so when a partnership blows up between friends, then you use that as uh, the N of one, right? And, and mm-hmm. you, you walk around using that as proof that you can never work with friends. And I think people do the same thing with niche. How fun is it to hear about some obscure niche that you didn't even know existed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that it's supporting some kind of incredible business. Mm. And then yeah. you just use that as proof that everybody needs to find this, this crazy niche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the same is true when you think about, um, the way that people feel as though they need to invent a product that has never been done before. I, mm-hmm. I just, just today, as we're recording this, uh, last week for people who are listening to this, just launched a new product. And it's in the community discussion space. And I have no idea if it'll succeed. I, I hope it does. And I'm very positive about it. But like Justin said, we're all just guessing, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever you talk about this, whenever you pitch this to people or tell friends around you, they immediately want to know um, how this is different from everything out there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an important question, but look at, let's say, the email software space, for example of mm-hmm. which we all have friends who have started email software companies. Mm-hmm. And in fact, amongst us, we probably have two, maybe three friends who have done tremendously well in the email marketing space, right? Mm-hmm. By starting a company and building it to a certain size. Mm-hmm. There are a ridiculous number of email software companies out there. And a lot of entrepreneurs would overlook it and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to start one of those because there's a million out there. Like, how could I possibly succeed? But, mm-hmm. but like, like you say in the article here, Justin, the fishermen who catch the most fish are the ones that go where the fish are. Mm-hmm. They don't try to make up some, well, I'm going to catch this little kind of fish that only hangs out between four and five in the morning over behind these rocks that nobody else <laughs> knows about. Yes, exactly. Because I really want to be right about this. Like I want, right. I want it to be right. You know, I want, I want to get it myself in some ways, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, um, just, just to wrap up my diatribe here, not (laughs) to say, keep it going, keep it going. This is like wisdom from the mountaintop. (laughs) Not to say that we won't, we won't have plenty of examples of niche that makes sense. And not to say that you don't have to have an answer to that question. Like, well, why is this different? But the answer to why is this different might very well be that well, I built this thing, but it's for this specific group of people. And and I know that's the direction you were going with Transistor. Mm-hmm. And that's the direction that Nathan Barry went with ConvertKit eventually, mm-hmm. or initially, at least he said, I'm building email software, but it's for bloggers. And you know mm-hmm. what? That worked for him because he knew a lot of bloggers. He knew there were people out there who were doing this evaluation game of which email software should I pick? And none of them seemed to be talking to me directly. So I'm going to build software that just speaks to them. And that worked. Mm-hmm. So that's one technique that can work, but it doesn't always work, especially if you don't know who that audience is, or you're just making something up in your mind and there's not really enough of them, or you don't have a way to reach those people, those under six foot mountain bikers that are wearing turtle caps or whatever you say. <laughs> I think it's also worth questioning just the common wisdom. So even in what you said, I've repeated that myself, like Nathan Barry succeeded because he targeted bloggers. But is that really true? Like, is that the actual cause of his success? Or was it 
another factor. Maybe it was teaming up with Pat Flynn. Maybe it was, you know, there's maybe it was just being in the market long enough that people started to notice. Well, it was certainly there's, it certainly had a lot to do with the timing wise. I mean, Pat had his audience at such a particular place, um, like he had grown and cultivated it to such a particular place. And he wasn't the only friend that Nathan had. Why? Because Nathan was a blogger, right? Mm-hmm. What about all of these, like these, these simple emails and texts that someone in, like a Nathan Barry is able to send to just begin a conversation with influencers like a Pat Flynn or a Tim Ferriss to convince them why it's valuable to be on this versus that. Well, because you're going to make a lot of money with it. Like, are you making mm-hmm. a lot of money with MailChimp right now? Oh, I can get you to, I can make you a lot of money with this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you that I was surprised because I thought our, in our early beta, we had, a, we had 50, no, uh, yeah, 51 customers. And about 75% of those came from my personal audience. I've been building this audience for years. You know, I got 20,000 followers on Twitter. I've got an email list of 10,000 people. And so our first, you know, in our beta list, 75% come from my audience. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like, Mm. yeah, Mm. this audience I built, this niche I've been focusing on, this is what's going to make the difference. Mm. And then we launched... And yeah, sure, more people from my audience showed up. But out of left field, I was on Matt Giovannici's podcast and a guy was listening to that and he happened to have a really high traffic website that talks all about podcasts. He signed up as an affiliate for Transistor and all of a sudden we noticed like signups start going way up. Yeah. So... Uh, and to this day, I'd say two or three affiliates that we did not expect <laughs> drive most of yeah. our signups and revenue. Mm. Mm. They're not targeting. They are just targeting uh, all sorts of people because we can see the signups uh, that are more aligned around the job to be done, which yeah. is I want to launch a podcast as opposed to identifying as a specific um uh, you know, identifiable group like pet owners or uh, solopreneurs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm just saying it would be, I could still say, well, no, most of our customers have come from my audience. Like I, I could attribute our, <laughs> our signups to whatever I feel like. Uh, but I think the reality is in our case and could be with Nathan and other people uh, where there's a temptation to attribute it to, oh, it was the it was the positioning and niching that made the difference. Maybe it did, mm. but mm. <laughs> there's so many other factors there that we might not be considering. Right, that the, yeah. are worth considering. Yeah, this is where to me. Okay, so this is a this is an interesting jumping off point potentially in out of the the myth of the niche into a second myth that that the myth of the like customer avatar, right? The myth of, of the like defining the, the demographics or the psychographics of the, the target audience that you're really aiming at. But Corbett, I want to check in with you and see if it's a good time to go that way. We could keep going on niche because I, you just mentioned this job to aligning yourself with the job to be done thing. This, this moment you just kind of brought us to is to me very, very crucial about understanding your audience Tell me more, Justin, about like 
the job to be done. And I love how I was like, uh, hold on, let me check with Corbett. And then I'm like, wait, what is just <laughs> like, wait, what? about job to be done? Like, like this, this concept who you are the guy who I think probably introduced me to job to be done years and years ago, Justin. Yeah. And it's like, it just was such a, a clean, clear, cut and dry way of discussing um, what feel like the energies that drive markets. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It just feels like the technology behind the technology of yeah. uh, of uh, whatever of, of whatever's happening when people are searching for solutions to, to some problem they have, like finding a place to host their podcast or something. But mm-hmm. you you made this distinction between um, what you put on your website, all the messaging, all of the intentionality and focus and declaration, and 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 here's who we we're serving business podcasts, right? Like mm-hmm. just all of this. Like yeah. I've got an idea. We're gonna do podcast hosting for businesses, right? And it's like mm-hmm. all of the identification and the dif- differentiation are on that last part, right? Mm-hmm. For businesses. And then you yeah. find over time that it's just like, no, nah, it's just podcasters like, from all over the place, just way tons of different walks of life. Turns out yeah. you like they were finding you because you did something that they were wanting you, they were wanting from the world, right? Someone to yeah. host their podcast. So talk about what what do you mean job to be done? So job to be done is a framework. And I have to say, unfortunately, the community, the jobs to be done community is splintered. And so there's a few factions there, which sometimes makes researching it difficult. Well, that's how you know there's a little bit of real religion in there. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's <laughs> a good old fashioned old school God shows up. Yeah, in there. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a few uh, denominations for sure. Yeah. Um, but basically it just... Uh, is a way of understanding why people buy products. And the reason people buy products is often very emotional. And so you're looking for words like, uh, you know, help me, take away, uh, free me from. And so, for example, we could think about all the reasons people hire podcasts in their lives. Why do people listen to podcasts? They could be watching Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. They could be just out for a walk. The competition for a podcast is anything you would normally use that time for. So it's not just radio. It is also Netflix. It is anything... It it is all the multitude of choices. Yeah, and in being really smart has. about what the time, what what that real slot is in someone's life. Uh, to me, I could think for hours and hours on that, trying to define it because it's really interesting. Because it's also, I mean, with the podcast, like how many people are on a walk with us right now? How many mm-hmm. people are on a jog? How many people are driving? How many people are driving with their kids in the car? And this is like one of the podcasts that they like to listen to because we like, you know, as much as possible, <laughs> actually blank out the curses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's yeah. like there's so many different different. Poten- and, and, and I feel like we can go crazy trying to define the specifics of it. Sometimes they're really helpful and sometimes they're just, you know, podcasts for businesses, you know, <laughs> like just like blowing smoke up mm-hmm. our own ours. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you know. For example, I often listen to this show on my way to work, and it's the idea is help me to start getting thinking about work things in a maybe motivational way because I'm all alone here in Vernon, BC, and I, I just want to start kind of gearing up for my day. Mm. So that's why I'm hiring the Fizzle podcast. But people do this with everything. Now, uh, you could say, if you were guessing, who the fizzle customer is, 
you could say, oh no, it's just young millennials who are starting their own business online and, you know, or it's just um, stay-at-home moms who are starting a business on the side. You could make all sorts of guesses Mm -hmm. about people who have that job. The problem is reality sometimes doesn't match up with that. And so, for example, one time I was here in Vernon, BC, this fellow asked me to go for coffee and he was in his 60s. This was three years ago or something. And he had just gotten off a big corporate job. Uh, I think he was working in the oil industry. And I said, so, you know, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm thinking about starting a business. Oh, cool. Well, what, how have you been, you know, investigating that? He's like, well, you probably has, haven't heard of this, but there's this thing called fizzle. <laughs> and I was like, you're using fizzle? <laughs> like, you know, and he was like in his 60s or 70s. Wow. Yeah. And, and so... He was hiring Some of my best friends inside of Fizzle are in their 60s and 70s. (laughs) But he's hiring Fizzle for the same reason that the stay-at-home mom is hiring Fizzle, that the millennial is hiring Fizzle. They Mm. all want freedom. They want, you know, a way, they want some hope. They want some motivation. And so that's kind of what Jobs is. And it can also be just very practical. Like, you know, I, the boss says we need, a podcast or we need email newsletter software, go out and find it. And so in that case, the job to be done is help me find the best software possible that will impress my boss. Mm. Right. Mm. So that's kind of a a description of jobs to be done. And uh, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is we have a misunderstanding of what a market is. Mm. The way most of, and you, Feel free to correct me, by the way. I, I might be wrong about this. So, you know, I feel free to jump in. But I a always market, do. <laughs> I always feel free. <laughs> a, a market is, you know, if we say, what is the market for video games? What we're looking at is how much is spent on video games in a year. That's the total addressable market for video games. A market is, you know, how how much are people buying in this particular area? And sure, there are identifiable avatars within that group, like teenagers would be a one, you know, um, males, you know, more generally. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that the total addressable market is just, okay, how big is this market? Well, it's, you know, bil- these billions of dollars have been spent in this area in the last year. And so if you were thinking about, you know, should we get into the video game market, what you're looking at is, well, how much of the market is there, total addressable market, and then how many of those billions do you think we can get with our new game, Undertale, which mm-hmm. is like this little indie computer game? Yeah. And turns out quite a bit, because the guy that made Undertale has done pretty well. Uh, but that's how people, that's how markets are generally talked about. But I think the the thing that confused me at the beginning is I thought, no, a market is just a identifiable group of people disconnected from, well, wait a second, how many, are they spending money in one direction, in one area? Uh, how hard are they to reach? You know, there's all these other kind of questions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the, I, to me, that's where I got into the weeds was mm. I just said, you know, marketing for developers. 
there's a market. Developers who want to learn marketing, right? That's a good niche. But <laughs> there was no evidence, really, that there was a big group of them yeah. that were consistently buying products for you know learning marketing. And it turns out it 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 was an okay business. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have been better for me to go. Where is the river really rushing? Like, where is there money being spent already? And we can see that with email newsletter software. There's money being spent there already, right? Mm. And so I think those two things, jobs to be done, why do people hire products? But then also, what is a market? And what evidence is there that there is, uh, you know, a market? What, what's the evidence for a market? Well, it's if there's already being money spent. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, something that comes to mind here as we talk about this is we've been talking a lot more lately about how, uh, how business is kind of just a science experiment. And if you approach it that way from the get-go, you can kind of set yourself up for success a lot better and you understand what your metrics are. And around this whole discussion, something that has been popping to mind is the difference between correlation and causation. And I think so much of the time we confuse that and expect that, oh, this group of people is almost causal in the way that it leads to them having, you know, this particular need. But Chase, the thing you just brought up with uh, with teenagers, for example, being a teenage male makes you probably statistically far more likely to play video games than, say, a 60 year old female. But it's not causal you know, being a teenage boy does not force you to play video games. There's mm-hmm. some other underlying characteristics, whether we can identify them or not, that lead you to be more likely to play video games, you know? So you can look at that in any market. And Justin, to your point, I think about the jobs to be done, when we're looking at how that correlates, it's like, you can say that, yes, within a market or within particular groups of people, there might be correlations to say, well, this group of people is more likely to have this job to be done and that's what can come through in your messaging. But mm-hmm. to look at it and say, oh, this group of people, if like they fit this because there's some other more like, I mean, I mean this is going to be a better word than causal to keep referring back to. But you know what I mean? It's almost uh, it's it's less tangible than that. And I think that in our discussion earlier about how we brought up that, oh, if you can find this group of people, it's like you can you can make a business out of any niche. Like, well, mm-hmm. no, that's not exactly the case because there might not really be a significant job to be done with that market. But mm-hmm. if you can, you know, f- find the underlying more emotional triggers like we talked about and how that fits into that market need, then you might be able to correlate that in a way that helps you with your marketing and finding more of those, uh, more of the people with that job to be done. The, the other thing that I love um, about bringing up this jobs to be done framework is, is that it, it, puts the focus back on we need to solve a problem for yeah. people. Yeah. Yes. And the thing that gets lost sometimes in the niche conversation, I think is just people act as though if you can identify a group of people in a certain way that they haven't been uh, addressed before as a group, or they haven't had a problem solved as a group before that, mm-hmm. that magically just by talking to those people, that you will have a product connection and that you'll be able to sell something to them because it it really uh, has the danger of removing the need to build a great product in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so 
just because you identify a niche doesn't mean that you don't have to build a great product, I think is what I'm trying to say. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so we've, we've identified a few things. We've, I think, identified that, yes, a niche can be too small, right? We've also talked about the fact that, um, n- obviously, niches can work depending on if there is a group of people there that have a legitimate need that you can solve in a way that is convincing enough to them that they'll be willing to pay you for. Mm-hmm. Um, Chase brought up something earlier, and I like to, I, I want to turn the focus on you for a second, Chase, because from the outside, it appears that you have the kind of niche business that we have been sort of juggling here, mm. and that you might be willing to brush aside if you hadn't seen it work. Mm-hmm. So if someone came up to me and said, you know what, I'm going to start doing reviews on YouTube of bags. For guys, mostly. And people are going to subscribe to these things and watch them like crazy. And, oh, by the way, they're going to be like 30 to 40 minutes long, each of these <laughs> reviews. I probably would like, you know, if it was a, a child, I'd pat them on the head and say, that's nice, dear. Why don't you think about being a police officer when you grow up or something more useful? <laughs> Try astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> or astronaut. Uh, but but here we are, you know, several years later, and... Um, and you have like a ridiculous number of YouTube subscribers and and this momentum behind you with with that exact idea. Hmm. So you mentioned something earlier, which was uh, like the myth of the customer avatar. Yeah. And and I would love to dive into that, but I would also love to know from you, um, when did it become apparent that this could be a viable niche market or target market or group of people that you wanted to reach or or whatever? Like, how did that come about? And and how did you gain confidence that it was worth spending so much time on? Okay, so um, I have a funny story to tell on that, or, or a, a piece of, of um, what do they call it in research when you have, like, the, the genuine artifact, like the canonical text, the, uh, the first, uh, first uh, it's, it's something where, where it, like, it's, it's not a, a copy of a copy, right? It's, it's the, the prime material. Let's just source go material, source material, something like that. Right. But just, like, I, I'm always looking for source material on concepts like these, right? Like right now there's, there's four of us sausage party dudes hanging out who have all been working in business for, for quite a while at this point, <laughs> for quite a while. Like I, I'm surprised how long I've been working in business, uh, it, like for myself with team members, like independently, um, and all of us kind of have, have our own, our own ways of doing that. And so there's a lot of, of actual, uh, expertise here right now. Expertise isn't like one expertise is not necessarily the same as another expertise, but you can go find out. I'm sure dude, I'm sure there's a lot of 99 cent Amazon books out there that are like the, the lip of someone's lead funnel to, <laughs> that are about niche that are about audience, right? So much stuff I bet has been written about this in the last five years, um, so I'm always looking for what are the real ideas, but that's probably, that's because I'm kind of religious in nature. I'm sort of a mystic and I'm looking for like, okay, what do we, re- where did humans really come from? Well, and this is going <laughs> to sound surprising, but I found a piece of like primary source material, right? In a little, like, you know how Tim Ferriss does those podcasts where he drunk dials? Justin, have you ever heard those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I found like a little nugget in there that once I heard that, I realized I was always on the right track. Um, it was when Tim Ferriss was, I mean, Tim Ferriss, he gets kind of drunk and he, and he just dials someone up and that person, they have a conversation and this guy was asking him questions about, about how he knows he's on the right track, 
how do you know, like you're the, the exact question that you just asked Corbett, but in a different way where, where you're asking me what, at what point did you know? And then, and this guy was asking sort of the same, same question to Tim Ferriss. Um, but he's like, how do you continue to find like, like when you do anything new, what is the way that we can look for, for like, for seeing that there is in Justin's term, like a market here, there is some desire here. There's some, there's some energy here. And honestly, his answer was very simple, but it was what I was doing the whole time. It's what I've always done. When I originally launched father apprentice, which is like, which is the first like blog that I put together. That was like an actual blog. But that was after I had done like two other blogs that were just like Chase starting up a website to see if he can start up a website. And then Chase writing on a website because it's like, well, we have a website. We might as well write for it. Right. And just slowly, I don't know, looking for audiences there. But then I started Father Apprentice. And and then we we got into then I designed a lot of a lot of sites for people and then I would I we started fizzle and then with the with the bag thing it all had the same indicators all of it and the only indicator that Tim Ferriss mentions and that I realized that I was paying attention to as well was actually just the general overall vibe of the feedback I was getting Okay, specifically on the web, that looks like comments on blog posts. It looks like comments on YouTube videos. It looks like tweets back to you because when you're young and you're, when you're new in this game, very few people like take your link and tweet it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, know, you don't get a lot of that, right? If big, big, I'm constantly doing that with other people's stuff, and I and I hope they realize that 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 there's an impact that they've made on my life when I when I do that. Um, and I'm always up for people <laughs> retweeting my shit. They don't, <laughs> they, they almost never do. Right. But I do get comments and I do get conversation. I do get feedback. And in those interactions, which are profoundly f- limited, right? I only get this little, like this name, this avatar and this little brief fart of, of, of a moment of their life. Right. Which is the response to this video or something. That's what it looks like now. Um, is as I'm, I publish a video and within, within an hour, I'll have, you know, 30 or 40 comments on it. Um, and that is, that is Corbett to answer your question. Those moments are the moments that I noticed I was in the right direction because what's in me that's doing the work is actually this very complicated sort of emotional drive where I'm, I'm looking to, I'm looking to be successful. I'm looking for status in my society. I'm looking for, being able to do stuff for work that I don't feel like is a prison, you know? And, um, and so I'm playing with a lot of different internal like goals and motivators. Um, and the place where I see the feedback of my work is the most, is like the most important metric to me. And I do not track it. I do not track it, which is super dangerous <laughs> in its own way because you like emotionally, I'm really volatile, but for the most part, I can see there's a real now, now that I'm seeing the numbers that I'm seeing, there's a real world out there and there's enough feedback for me to, to adjust my course over time. Now, I don't know if that feels like a clear answer to your question, Corb, but like that is, that is the first place that I go. That's where I'm finding like in real time, what the job to be done is. That I like, like I'm constantly asking people, anybody who's seen my stuff or listened to the Phil Shore or anything that I meet in the wild, I'm like, what do you think it is? <laughs> what do you, what do you think the Chase Reeves YouTube channel is? Like what it, what is happening here? Cause it's not just bag reviews. 
um, is what I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to let myself think that it's just bad reviews for some reason. I'm like, I'm so much more than that. <laughs> right. I mean, well, I, sorry, go ahead, Corb. No, after you. I think that feel is really important, but, and that's certainly one of the things that made me feel like I could go into podcasting is podcasting started to pass the coffee shop test which is when I'm ordering my coffee, what are people talking about in the background? And forever it was, you know, what are you watching on Netflix? Before that, it was what apps did you download recently? And then it started to switch to podcasting. And I started to go, what the heck is going on here? Mm. Normals, normal people yeah. are listening to Tim Ferriss. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that is a good first indicator that there's some, you know, some magic in the water. Yeah. I recently read this book by Rob Fitzpatrick called The Mom Test. Have you folks read this yet? No, I haven't. No. Oh, God. It's a terrible name for a book. But the, the premise is that you can't figure out, like people will lie to you if you go to them and say, hey, I'm thinking of starting a YouTube channel where I do bag reviews. Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah. Because nobody wants to hurt your feelings, they will all say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I would totally watch that. People are really bad and forecasting what they will do in the future. What the only thing you can really trust is what are people currently doing and what are people doing in the past? And one thing about bags or even just in general, like stuff for dudes, yeah. if that's Chase's overall focus, My is, is like even <laughs> last <oeuvre>. week, <laughs> even uh, July 4th, Cortland Allen, my friend on Twitter, frequent He's tweeting here, frequent travelers. What are your favorite travel essentials? Backpacks, clothing, luggage, gadgets, trinkets, websites, whatever. So Cortland is like, he's looking to buy right now. Mm. It's very likely he's bought in the past, right? Mm. The global luggage market, I looked it up and in, in, is like 22 billion or something right now. Mm. Um, yeah, $22 billion yeah. just for luggage. There's a lot of people buying luggage every year. Yeah. A lot of people buying bags every year. Every year, I buy at least three bags, right? So we can see people's behavior shows us, like their actual behavior, what they've actually done in the past shows us that there's something here. And there's also all this other evidence, like people asking on Twitter, hey, what do you recommend? And Chase's channel fits perfectly into that. Yeah. If you're looking, if you have a friend looking for a bag or a travel essential, where are you going to send them? Well, you'll send them to Chase's channel because that's the, that's the resource, right? Mm, yeah. And yeah. Uh, in terms of jobs to be done, one thing you could observe is Justin going on, you know, my first trip that Chase told me to go on to Vegas. Mm -hmm. And I bring this old ratty suitcase that I'd had forever since I was a kid. And I pull it into the hotel room and everybody else has these cool bags. And I felt emotionally, I felt like, oh, shit. like I don't, I, my bag doesn't kind of match up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's this emotional need of, oh, I got to up my bag game. Like Seth Godin has this great quote people like us do things like this. Mm. Mm. And so when Chase invited me into this group and I was like, oh, I want to be people like this. 
what what does that motivate me to do? Well, it motivates me to do things like the group is doing. I want to get a better <laughs> I want to get a better bag yeah. so I could at least fit in a bit. And so observing that inclination in myself, but then every single trip I've done, like with buddies or whatever, you know, we all meet up in Portland or we all meet up in New York. The first thing everyone does, we get to the airport, we're meeting up, you know, we're about to jump in the van. What's everybody doing? They're looking at each other's bags. <laughs> hey, whoa, you got the, you know, you got this one. Oh, you got this. They're all talking about bags, right? Mm. There's so much evidence there that people care about it that, of course, it's easy to look at this in retrospect and say, oh, the evidence was there all along for Chase's YouTube channel to be a success. But I think if we look at some of those those flags, we can say, oh, wait, there is something here. But when people get together at the airport, they're not saying, uh, so did you buy your pet turtle a knitted cap? You know, like <laughs> it's just the evidence isn't there. So I, I think this idea of, of really looking for evidence, yeah. what are people actually doing? Yeah. What are people, what have they done in the past? Because that's a very good indicator yeah. of what they'll do. Future. And I think one of the things when I think about this right now, what I'm what I'm seeing that that you do really well, Justin, and that that I, I have sort of made it my job to 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 do this as well and and treat it almost like a like a like a like a, like a damn cab, cabinet maker treat woodworking or whatever is the ability to be yourself in uh, in your trade of some kind. Right. So when I'm talking about a bag. I'm actually not talking like there's very little there's very few moments in the video where I'm talking about the bag. There's almost the entire video I'm talking about how what I think about the bag. Okay? Now, that's a very that is like that is a huge distinction cuz there you can you can like I think this product review thing is just so ridiculous like it's so true. There's so many products out there. We I need somebody to tell me what music I listen to, right? That's called a Spotify mm -hmm. playlist because there's so mm -hmm. much music out there that now there's no such thing as an album. If your band mm -hmm. gets a song on a playlist, like you have a chance. Right? Yeah. It's a big yeah. big deal. Lots of discoveries happening there. Well, the same thing with any category of products, Matt Giovannisi, who you mentioned, like his thing was pool stuff, mm -hmm. right? What, what, like, and now I see the whole world as, as like, I have a problem. There's a product out there that exists to solve that problem. There's a lot of crap products. <laughs> see yeah. China, <laughs> see yeah. like douchebaggy entrepreneurs from Jersey going like, yeah, I can get this made out in China for like nothing. And then set market up, bring it over here and sell it. It's like, yeah, you know, you, like customer service is kind of bad, but like, whatever you, you just, you just hire someone out to do that. It's like, the whole thing is is just cobbled together. And I'm so, my whole thing on the homepage of my website is disappointing everyday goods are disappointment every single day, right? Mm -hmm. This is something I'm very, like, I'm very tuned into at this point. Because yep. when I surround myself with things that I don't actually have positive feelings for, right? I'm not... Like my life, my, my, my environment doesn't reflect enjoyment back to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one who lives in that. Like I made this cage for myself. I'm the monkey in the damn cage. It's my office. <laughs> yeah. You know, but you, it, it's the, the job to be done is so interesting because I think for a lot of people, the need is help me to choose a bag 
that won't be a disappointment or won't embarrass me. Yeah. And so, well, and I would go, I would go further. I would say your, your particular insecurities took you in the, just to speak frankly, in the, in the, to to be a disappointment thing, you know, Justin and I have Mm -hmm. a lot of deep conversations. I love Mm -hmm. Justin very much because he's a, he's a rambler. He goes exploring himself. Um, And I think what, what I'm aligning myself with the job to be done that I'm like the video I just published today on a, on a bag that I've been requested to do this for like, it feels like multiple years at this point. I finally did it. The uh, code, Paxi Alpa 35. It's like a $200 bag, um, which is pretty affordable for these one bag travel bags. Are those... Are those words you just use? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paxi is this awesome company that's like a, think of them like a Patagonia, but just more specialized, but tons of eco stuff, tons of sustainability and resourceful mind, mind, you know, resource minded company. Right. Um, and, uh, and when I am, uh, where, where was I going with that? Sorry. I was, I was just, you were talking about, what did you say, Justin? Oh, disappointment. Said, what's, disappointment. Yeah, what's the job? Yeah. And I think that there's another thing here, which I'm actually calling because I've always been like, so what I, the way to think about me, um, is I'm over here trying to turn people on. And the way that I'm doing that is I'm catching these people who think they want to travel. Mm-hmm. Right. Because travels this phenomenal thing that has meant a ton to me as an entrepreneur specifically. Right. Yeah. As a as a father, secondarily, but it's, it's a challenge to do that. It's cool to get my kids out and do stuff. But to get out of my of my, you know, like that, the the uh, peanuts character who has the like the dust around his head all the time, the dirty kid. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like so much of my, of my entrepreneurial life has felt like that. <laughs> like Just this weird, like cloudy, uh, dirty fog around my head because I'm in my own head about myself being a disappointment or the, the ways that I'm disappointed in my life up to now, or this thing isn't going to work, but let's try it anyway. I don't have a good idea or whatever. I'm in my head in this way. Travel is like taking me out of that, knocking the barnacles off of my prefrontal cortex. And I'm forced to have that real question. Like, am I hungry enough to try this street vendors empanadas? (laughs) The the perennial (laughs) question. Like, like this is dangerous, but here we are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. That kind of, uh, it, it involves risk. It involves novelty. It involves freshness. It involves, um, pushing through when you're tired. Sometimes it involves going through some hardship to get something like, you know, like I hate fly. I don't like flying. I don't like being in an airport. I don't like being herded into stuff, you know? Um, but I do like being, uh, in Peru to do an ayahuasca ceremony. So it's like, you got to fly to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like these, (laughs) these kinds of journeys, (laughs) They do a lot for us. So that's the job to be done when I think about it. Now, I, I, I could speak forever about that, and I kind of lose myself in it because I'm really trying to think through what is the job to be done. But when I align myself, what I think right now is I'm aligning myself with that because I believe in that, right? Mm-hmm. I actually believe in the power of that. Like, that is like a god. The way that the Greeks talked about um, gods, right? The way it's like Apollo is like this. I'm sure there's like a God, like Hermes was like the God of the journey or something like that. It's like, it's like a God. Like I go to that temple and I, and I put a little bit of my pocket change there. And I ask that God for a blessing for my daughter and for my family and stuff like that, because it's a very real energy that exists. The energy of travel, the energy of getting away from where you're, where you're stuck in a rut. And it's something that Mm -hmm. we've talked about, talked about a lot here at Fizzle. So it's Mm -hmm. something that I believe in. Yeah. What were you going to say, Corb? 
let me just, um, if you don't mind, indulge me for a, a minute while I like analyze what, what you said Do it. <laughs> about, about, about bags and, and the YouTube channel, because we are talking about, we're trying to help people in this episode. I hope understand whether niches are important and how it applies to growing an audience, because we all need to have an audience. We all need to have customers in order to sell the thing that we're building for them. But in, in thinking about uh, building this YouTube channel around bags and this moment that Justin said in Vegas, I showed up and all these, all these people had these amazing bags and I felt this certain way. And, you know, you're Chase talking about travel and, and the importance of it and, and so on and, and disappointing everyday goods and all this kind of stuff. But the genesis for you building that YouTube channel is way, way before any of this. Yeah. And the thing that this brings up to me is that being interested in things, following your curiosity to quote Elizabeth Gilbert, I think. Yes. Liz Gilbert. Um, following your curiosity when you don't have something that you're passionate about, just choosing to allow yourself to follow your curiosity and to get into something. And this is something I've seen you do uh, dozens and dozens <laughs> of times about, about all kinds of different things. Yeah. Chase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. But, and, and, and that might feel like a curse sometimes because you have all kinds of ideas and, and, and you can be pulled in a different, in different directions, but it also is a blessing because you will indulge that urge to follow mm. your curiosity for months at a time. And with bags, I happen to know that this happened to you, um, I don't know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. something like that, Yeah. where you were on this trend of cool bags long before 95% of the companies that you're reviewing today existed. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I want, people to recognize that the seeds that may grow into the thing that becomes your thing eventually mm -hmm. may have been planted five or 10 years ago, or they may be planted today or this week, but you have to follow and get deeply into something and care about it because a niche isn't this surface thing that you just slap on something. Yeah, A niche yeah. is something that you understand deeply and that you are a part of. Yeah, there's this video game and, and we should link to this in the show notes for whoever. I don't know who listens to this uh, in the <laughs> editing room and like, here's a say, let's put this in the show notes. But they do end up there somehow. Yeah, magically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love to put a link to this video that you shared with me, uh, Chase, uh, maybe a month or two ago. This was this fascinating talk that this young woman gave. Oh, at it, yes. Video game conference. Yes. About this game. Justin, this I think is, I sent this to you, too. A, long, a while ago. Okay, keep going, okay. Justin. And and this or, is this is something that that you know um, fascinated me to the point that I, I watched the entire hour or hour and a half of this talk, whatever it was, because it's it's this young woman talking about this video game that she co-created or or produced or something at a um, video game conference, and the game is such a niche. I had no clue that this sort of thing existed. Mm. The game is called dream daddy and it is billed as a dad dating simulator. And I guess in the game, they don't necessarily talk about queer themes too much because they were sort of concerned about it, but it it's a bunch of daddies, which is a type, a gay type. Mm. And th the game is a simulation of you dating these dads who have a young daughter and, and so on. And, and, 
people can look it up and, and kind of marvel in what a specific niche this is. But the talk was gold yeah. because the talk dug into um, how they came up with this niche, the way they perceived it, the way they understood how people were being underserved in this area. And you could tell that they understood the niche so well themselves. And I think anytime that we're thinking about something as a niche and talking about a niche, it's almost a negative sign. It's almost doing it a disservice because at the end of the day, a niche to the people who are in that niche isn't a niche. It's their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are able to understand and be part of that movement and speak to it authentically, then you have a shot at serving those people with your product or whatever it is. So just to kind of wrap up my thoughts on this is a niche isn't a band-aid that you slap onto a mediocre business idea and then like wow people it it may be that there's a group of people out there that are so so horribly underserved that you can put anything in front of them and they're going to buy it yeah uh if they're if they're out in the desert and there's no water that sort of thing but more than likely you have to really understand what this is deeply and be a part of it and so um it all starts for me with following your passion, following your curiosity and just exploring things and getting deeply into them, whatever weirdness that might be, because the weirdness could lead to an idea that becomes important to you and becomes a business eventually. Yeah. I think it's really well said Corbin. And that part about like this niche to these people who are in that niche, it's, it's not a niche, it's their lives. This is one of the best things. I don't know if anybody's taken any of those masterclass courses. You know, masterclass came out when we started, like when we were in the middle of fizzle and masterclass blew the top of my brain right off. Right. Right. Dustin Hoffman teaches acting. Like what? Aaron Sorkin teaches TV writing. I'm like, what the hell? How do you get this? This is sensational. And I've been taking some. I'm in the middle of uh, Neil Gaiman's teaches storytelling. Um, mm. and it is basically the whole course is about this one thing that you're talking about Corbett. to be interested in something, to follow your curiosity, to get into something. The fundamental underlying thing is you have to care. You have to care about these characters. Cause if you don't, nobody else is going to, right. And that's what I think of when I think about a niche, um, and what I think about an audience and, I think you care. I think every listener out there cares about themselves. I think they care primarily, principally, and fundamentally for themselves first. You put your own oxygen mask on first, right? This is, you cannot solve any, but you do your work. Doing your work for you is the best way to help everyone else in your life, right? So because of that, there are light, there are things that you are curious about, that you are interested in, that you have, um, that you can have a voice in if you ply your oars towards that direction for a long period of time. As Corbett mentioned, my bag thing, which I am like commensurately grateful for because it just seems to be happening almost without me, right? There's just interest there. And I'm like, how did this happen? Um, make no bones about it. There's a lot that I'm doing behind the scenes as well, but that was just a simple curiosity that, that, uh, in accordance with our, like this idea that published is better than perfect. As Justin said earlier, when you get it out there, now you have a thesis, you can actually, it's like, 
it's it's anyways I'll, I'll hold that thought because there's, there's this there's this thing that happens when you're in a conversation and, and you're watching two people have a conversation and you're in it as well and you have something that you really want to say but you hold it and then you watch the conversation while you're holding what you have to say right that actually plays that gives you a bigger that gives you better ears for understanding what's actually being said between them because now you have an intention in the conversation even though it's secret and you haven't spoken it out that actually helps you to to hear and place where they're coming from better. And if there's anything that is true about defining your audience, about creating um, uh, or about th- how to think about your audience, it's that you're in a conversation they're having with themselves. You have something to say and you're paying attention to what they're saying. So, you know, you're not just in this to hear yourself speak, right? You're in this to, for there to be actually productive conversation that goes on there. That's my closing bit on that. I mean, to me, that is that is what I think about audience. I think I think when we talk about business, we're always going back to these examples of like when you're meeting um, a potential romantic partner. There's this like, you know, there's this, hey, how are you? There's this courtship. There's this conversation. There's maybe it's swiping right. Maybe it's maybe it's all sorts of action on the first date. Maybe it's not at all. Who knows? It can happen a a million different ways. Right. A ten thousand ways. But. Um, there is a dance there and we all know how to do it, but we, we're like, we're also, you know, corralling ourselves behind our computer screens and our phone screens. And maybe we're losing a little bit of touch with how to do that. And that's where the fizzle defining your audience course. And this idea of, of like just questioning what is the correct way to think about audience? What are viable ways to be thinking about our audiences? To me, means can can make this a much more lively experience and a less less filled with uh insecurity and disappointment like justin i really resonate with what you were saying when you're talking about like the way that you can kind of like carry around the need for niche like a burden Mm -hmm. and it's like totally not even connected to what actually happened like all of that stress was kind of unnecessary yeah yeah, I think I think everything like especially this last bit really hits something that I've been feeling and I haven't been able to articulate which is we often have these objectives like I need to build a niche but the truth is that getting to a viable market is not a straight line and probably looks more like you going out doing interesting things meeting interesting people, exposing yourself to all sorts of different experiences over years and years and years. And eventually the dots connect and you find, oh, wait, here is, this could be a good market. And it, it's, it, it's, not, it's almost not something you can just get up you know, from, from behind your computer screen and go, that's it, today's the day. I'm going to go get the target market. <laughs> totally. You know, like it, it, it's like, no, this is year, layering of years and years and years. One last story to finish, because I think this illustrates it. Uh, I don't even know if you remember this, Chase, but in Portland, uh, you introduced me to this fellow named Bill Irwin. Do you oh, know yeah. him? Oh, yeah, dude, I love Bill. So I remember meeting Bill, and I just remember thinking, okay, well, Bill's cool. Like, I like Bill. But thinking, like, this meeting probably has no consequence on my life. Like he's cool, but he lives in New York. I, you know, he was kind of twice removed from even my internet friend group. And so I thought, 
well, I probably, I might see him once a year at XOXO or something, but this is probably not going to be, you know, something of, of substance for me in my life. Well, <laughs> I talk to Bill like every week now um, <laughs> because he has been instrumental in helping John and I with a bunch of stuff with Transistor because Bill worked for Stitcher and he just, I can't, I probably can't say, he just switched jobs um, to another big uh, podcasting company. And so he's got all of this industry knowledge. So what turned out to be this haphazard meeting, me going to XOXO because Chase told me to, and then meeting all these people, well, you layer that onto my life and all of a sudden that becomes a meaningful part of me connecting with a market. Mm. It's not a straight line. No. You're, you're going to have to go out and experience things. You got to get out behind the computer. You got to get out of your house. And uh, gradually, the dots will connect. But don't have all this anxiety that you need to figure it out in six months. It might take five years or 10 years. Uh, and that doesn't mean you can't be trying things along the way. But it's a this whole thing is a big arc of a journey as opposed to like a single task you have on your solopreneur or entrepreneur checklist. Mm, yeah, yeah, big time. Well, Justin Jackson, thank you so much for joining us on The Fizzle Show. Your voice is cherished here, my friend. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and Corbin and Joe, thank you guys, dear listener. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a blast. This is a real serious, in-depth, honest conversation about audience, about, about what are the ways in by that real entrepreneurs who've been doing it for a while can can be thinking about entrepreneurship or thinking about audience so that you don't get like locked and lost in some basically some way that someone invented oh you know that may or may not be true and certainly may not be rev relevant now where it's still relevant is in the roadmap the fizzle roadmap which this is instead of just laying out all the topics for for audience that's all in the course we want to have a conversation right now about what it's like to build an audience right now to think about your audience right now what are the ways we wish we thought about our audience before we started if someone could have installed that on our operating system right and these are more big picture concepts if you want to get in the nitty-gritty and the brass tacks. That's all in the in phase, what is it, Corbett, of the roadmap? It's like phase three is all the audience uh, stuff? It's phase two. Phase two. Phase two, phase one is set up, that's right. And phase two begins with the audience stuff. Um, you can always get into the roadmap, which is like a playlist of courses that are that that will guide you through creating and growing your business anytime. And as a listener to the Fizzle Show, you get five weeks for free. You can just go to fizzle.co slash try five and begin the roadmap today. That's fizzle.co slash try five. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you next week. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.